I'm hopeful that this may be one of the greatest generations from a STEM standpoint to, to go out and actually have some great innovations for, for humanity. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So this is Annalise Corbin, and I am, as always, super excited today about our guests on Learning Unboxed because we are going to be talking with a passionate engineer turned educator by choice or by happenstance, uh, Maurice Womack, who is the co-founder of Oasis, a STEAM learning company that's based in my own Columbus, Ohio. So I'm incredibly proud of the fact that Maurice and Oasis are here. Maurice is by training a mechanical engineer, but who is also an entrepreneur, um, extremely passionate about STEAM education. And one of the things that I love most about uh, Maurice and the bio that he sent over me to me um, ahead of the, the program is that as a youngster, he was heavily influenced uh, by science fiction, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, you name it, uh, Transformers, GoBots, Voltron. And so he is a very hip and now techie guy. So Maurice, um, welcome to the program. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm hip, but I, <laughs> I like to think that I was, I was at a time. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're pretty hip. Um, the programs that, that you and Oasis do are pretty darn awesome. So uh, you're going to get the hip vote from me. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> so let's, let's start, Maurice. I, I really sort of want to uh, tackle two pieces. So the first one for context, because we have um, lots of different types of folks that um, have been gracious enough to share their stories with us on Learning Unboxed who come from a variety of different backgrounds. And I think that the journey to the thing that we're ultimately going to talk about is as important as the thing itself. So we're going to get into the weeds about what's happening with Oasis. But I think that uh, your path to, to getting to and starting and founding this organization or co-founding this organization is a really important piece for folks to understand. So could you give us maybe the five-minute version of, of how you, you went from, I'm a mechanical engineer to, I'm passionate about STEAM education. Sure, sure. I actually, um, so I'm working, uh, got a job down at Columbus State Community College as an adjunct instructor of engineering technology. And, um, and so I was, I was teaching college students introductory engineering courses. And uh, what I found was that um, the students were not very passionate about engineering. And that puzzled me because for me, I, was all, I always knew I wanted to be an engineer. But I had a lot of students who said, well, my counselor told me that engineers made good money and that, you know, it's hands-on. And so I figured I'd check it out. And, and, uh, hmm. and But the problem is, is that as you progress uh, through um, your sophomore, junior year, and you start to get into some of the, quote unquote, harder weeder classes, then typically you don't have an anchor to say, hey, I really need to persist through this, right? 
um, because mm-hmm. you never really um, considered it a passion in the first place. And so I started to reflect on, you know, what was it about my own upbringing where I knew um, I wanted to become an engineer, regardless of, you know, what was placed in front of me, obstacles or, or you know, other opportunities. I knew I wanted to be an engineer. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I thought about it and I was like, well, that's because I think my father, for me, he always made connections to science fiction and comic book characters and stories, the technology <laughs> present in the engineering and the STEM present in those stories. So for instance, mm-hmm. I was a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're flying around in a starship at warp speed and they had they use iPads, which at the time, <laughs> you know, iPads didn't exist, right? They're transferring right. from the Earth up to your ship. So all these different uh, science theories um, and technologies were present in the stories, along with the characters that I was familiar with. And so whenever I would watch these shows, my father would say, "Hey, you know, those are, that's what engineers do." And then specifically mm-hmm. for Star Trek. Um, you know, as an African-American male, Jordy LaForge, LeVar Burton, mm-hmm. I was a fan of anyway because of reading Rainbow, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. was the chief of engineering. And so for me to see an African-American man on the television who was the chief of engineering on the flagship uh, starship of the Starfleet, <laughs> all those things kind of made sense to me. And so every time, you know, I would watch, you know, any shorter cartoon or my father would be sure to connect, you know, to make the connection between the technologies or the science in those shows and, and what, and, you know, engineering. And so, and so he kind of almost pushed me un, unwittingly into becoming an engineer because I, I love that. And so then I would mm-hmm. do things around the house where I would try to build some of the things I saw on, on TV, you know, or or even some of the, the playtime would be imagining that I was in these spaces with this technology that some at that time, a lot of it hadn't been developed. And so that imaginative play, I think, contributed to that passion that then fueled me as I got older. And so, you know, after pondering that and understanding that, I was like, well, you know, maybe we need to, especially nowadays, at that time, they Marvel was just starting to blow up with their movies. Right. They were being right. popular. And uh, one of the things that struck me was Iron Man. The movie was just so realistic, even though, you know, he's... But with, well, within the movie, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., he uses the engineering design process mm-hmm. to develop his Mark I prototype suit. Right? So, <laughs> so, so I took that, that as a first stab on the college level so I started mm-hmm. to build some of my lessons around this, what I call science fiction and comic book stories. So I called it a sci-fi com at the time. Are you still teaching this class? Because Maurice, I want to take that version of my <laughs> engineering class because that is that I think is part of what makes your story so great. And obviously that's partially why Oasis works. And we'll, we'll, as we get into that, because you hook these kids. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? Your father figured out you love that stuff. And whether he loved it with you or not, you did. And he made it real for you. And so for you to take those kids and say, hey, let's study engineering. This, I want to take that class, Maurice. If you're not still teaching it, could we do a special section? Yeah, I had several of the students. And these are, you know, these are adults who said that they love the class. They love, you know, the theme of the class. You know, really can Nowadays, there's no excuse to 
be able to find innovative ways around what kids are interested in connected to, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So, yeah, we don't, right? But that's that's part of the reason why you and I do the work that we do, right? Because so often we still see so many programs, schools, methods of instruction that are failing to connect directly with the audience, their kids. Yeah, yeah. And I and for me, like I said, it I always and I and I'm not sure if, if it's because educate I mean I know educators are under a lot of pressure to uh, mm-hmm. from testing and, and things of that nature, but um, just connecting it to a, a sense of play has always been uh, successful for us in terms of inspiring mm-hmm. kids. And so whenever I sit down and uh, decide to, to uh, develop a lesson plan, I always use a, a format I call learn, build, play. There's the learning piece, then there's the hands-on piece, and then there's the play piece. And we I love that. Yeah, and so I use that almost like a framework whenever I decide mm-hmm. what are we going to teach. That is spectacular. I love that. So tell us then, Maurice, tell us about Oasis. So what is it and what is what does it do? And then we'll sort of get into some of the, the nuts of some of the actual programs um, that you put on, because I've been watching them over, over a bit of time. And I, I have some favorites and I've got one that I was just really dying to sign up for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well. There, um, OASIS is actually an acronym for Opening Access to STEAM in Informal Settings. And so that's really our, it really encompasses our mission. So our, our goal is to go and to serve, especially underserved, underrepresented communities uh, and increase access to quality STEM learning. Uh, and so that, that happens in many ways. Here locally, uh, we partner with schools after school programs to go out, uh, meet kids where they're at. Uh, provide hands-on STEM learning opportunities around what we call emerging technologies, um, robotics, uh, mm-hmm. 3D printing, uh, 3D modeling, things of that nature. Um, and then we also have our online STEAM club, so which, which we call Club Oasis. So mm-hmm. that provides access in a different way. So if we're not able to do anything hands-on, then we have free re- resources on Club Oasis classes, things of that nature that you can take absolutely free. And so, and it's mobile accessible. So, you know, you can you can take classes, video classes, lessons. Mm-hmm. There's a community on the site as well. And so it's really, if you have internet access, which, you know, not everybody has, but most people do, at least through a mobile device, then you right. to, to access that content as well. So those are the two arms that we have currently. And what are the what are the age groups that you're really sort of encompassing or specifically trying to 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 reach through through Oasis or Club Oasis, either one? Yeah, so we're focused primarily on K through eight. We really have curriculum that spans that entire grade uh, span. Mm-hmm. But we're also rolling out some things here shortly, which we haven't announced yet uh, for for eight uh, nine through twelve as well. So really trying to run the whole K through 12 gamut with with fun and inspiring things, uh, STEM learning for kids, Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, we really do believe that, you know, you need to reach them early and often uh, Mm -hmm. when when it's time to actually go out and learn the hard skills, they're able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And how as so and how how far reaching is this? 
You are in central Ohio here in Columbus is Oasis. The the physical piece of it, is it just in Ohio? And then the virtual piece, Club Oasis, is, is that accessible anywhere? Sort of how do you differentiate between those two pieces in terms of who you're serving? Yeah, so our, our, our local presence, we do uh, what we call tech and touches, tech and touch pop-ups. So this is where we would go out mm-hmm. and try to serve as many kids in one session as possible, um, you know, Again, we're working with uh, community organizations, schools, so budgets are mm-hmm. are, are thin. So that you know, the, the the decision makers are typically trying to touch as many kids as possible in mm-hmm. amount of time for the lo- <laughs> lowest amount of cost. And so, exactly, second touch pop up accomplishes that. But then we use that as an opportunity to engage the kids and send them to Club Oasis, where they can continue to learn for free. And, and it can access via uh, any mobile device or computer. Um, so we're so the tech and touch pop-ups we do here locally in Columbus. We also have a presence in LeBron's I Promise School. So we we uh, mm-hmm. did some tech and touch pop-ups there. Yeah. Uh, and then we were uh, partnered with them to to do some STEM learning in their after-school program as well. So. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And then the Club Oasis, the virtual, can kids come from anywhere? Anywhere, yep. So we have kids from families and educators as well mm-hmm. from around the country, really around the globe. There's some there. That's awesome. Found us, especially during this time with the COVID 19. Yeah. I think people are looking for online resources. And so that's how. They are, in fact, and they are looking for quality online resources because there's a lot of stuff that out there. And some of it, we'll just call it stuff and leave it at that. <laughs> but then there's some really, really amazing and great content. The one that I saw that you guys were, were doing through Club Oasis most recently that was the one that I was like, oh man, I'm too old to take it. I'll have to you know, get a hold of Maurice and see if I can play anyway. Um, I loved the drone one that you guys just did. Yeah. Um, and I thought, ah, you know, this is, to your point, very, very timely in terms of trying to get out and reach kids who, you know, A, they they may or may not be struggling with, you know, um, learning in this sort of virtual environment that's been forced on them right now. But we know that at a minimum, they're 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 isolated in a variety of different ways, and they're looking for other ways to engage. And so, I love the fact that the play component of that um, really allowed kids to be able to connect. So that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. So for that, we partnered with the DRL Academy, or so the, the uh-huh. Racing League. And you've probably seen maybe their their races on ESPN. They yeah, I have NBC, and so they have a drone uh, simulator. Um, which uh, is very real to life. And so you can actually learn to fly just on the simulator. And then uh, we have races and things. And so, but during the course of that uh, course, (laughs) we actually Mm -hmm. uh, learn about drone technology, the science of flight, and and all those things while learning to also pilot a drone. So it's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Kids are loving it. We're still in the midst of that right now toward the end. that That was a great partnership for sure. Yeah, no, it is a fabulous one. And I'm really, really excited to sort of see when it all wraps up sort of what you're thinking about it. And I think it has tremendous potential because kids are kind of just going to love it, right? Because again, it taps right into the things that they're interested in. So that's the beautiful thing about it. 
how do you manage the funding for these programs? The kids get to, I get asked this question all the time as well, right? And I understand why people people are really curious about it. And, you know, as folks are sitting in their own communities a long way from Columbus, Ohio, and they're hearing, you know, you talk about not just your journey, but what Oasis is doing. And they're contemplating, how can I do similar things in my own community with the resources that we have? Um, one of the questions that, that always comes up is how, how do you actually do it from the fiscal side of doing this type of work? Yeah, as you know, that's always the challenge, but mm-hmm. in under-resourced areas. And so that was probably the thing that hit us to heart when we first said, hey, we're going to really focus on these communities and these areas. A lot of organizations wanted us to come in, but it was, how do you, you know, how do you fund it? Mm-hmm. So, so we've done two things. So first, we've tried to do as much to bring the cost down, right? of what, what we're doing. So we try to, and, and video again, because we launched Club mm-hmm. back in November. So just thinking of ways to leverage technology to bring costs down and reach as many people as possible. That's number one. Uh, secondly, we've done things like go after grants. So we've partnered, mm-hmm. uh, we're a social enterprise, so we're, we're not a nonprofit per se, but we've right. partnered with nonprofits and have gone after grants. So for instance, we've received Close to two hundred thousand over three years from uh, Battelle, which you're familiar right. with. Battelle. Um, mm-hmm. So, Battelle, oh, yeah, yeah, Battelle has been a, a, a big sponsor of what we've been doing here locally, for sure. And other grants that so we've gotten grants from Honda, AP Ohio mm-hmm. as well. And so we found that that has worked for us, right? So we typically find a partner who uh, really is interested in having us come in, and then we do the groundwork of actually. Uh, writing up grants, submitting them. Well, they would submit them under their uh, nonprofit status as a partner. And then sure. those funds, and then they pay for us to come out. So that has been a, mm-hmm. uh, a mechanism that has worked very well for us. Yeah. And I think that that's a fairly typical story of how um, how you're able to get this type of programming into the locations and into the schools um, to the students who, quite frankly, uh, will benefit the most from, from getting that experience. One of the other pieces that I really like about what um, Oasis is doing is that, you know, kids have no idea what's possible. You know, until they have the opportunity to have an experience where they can try something or know that it's a thing. You know, I, I don't know this, but I would wager, you know, that those kids who showed up in your intro to engineering class um, because, you know, somebody told them, hey, that's a great way to make money or whatnot, would have been inspired to be in that class had they had an experience that inspired them around engineering. And so I think that the, the, the shame, I guess, of that is that, oh my gosh, they were, they were, they were, they were adults before they found somebody like you to inspire them and show them how awesome that career could be. And that, and that was actually uh, one of the things that pushed us to the lower grade. So I, I never mm-hmm. finished uh, kind of what led from being an adjunct instructor to teaching engineering to kids. But so, you know, after, after experiencing that at Columbus State, we were like, hey, well, we need to, understanding that we needed to reach them at a younger age, we actually started teaching high school students in Gahanna Public. So we reached out to, to the superintendent of Gahanna Schools at that time, which was Mr. Frank Scrucci. And uh, mm-hmm. we uh, asked him, you know, hey, could you give us some space to maybe run some classes and advertise it for us? And he loved, we came in, we presented to him, he loved what we were doing, and he gave us some space at Clark Hall there. 
if you're familiar mm-hmm. with the across from the high school. And, uh, you know, we sold out that first class there, all high school students. Uh, but what I noticed was that all of them were already knew they wanted to be engineers of some sort. So, they, you know, we had students who were going to Purdue, Ohio State, you know, to study engineering in a year or two. Mm-hmm. So, which was great. And it was like, well, but we really need to reach a younger audience. And so we started to really target younger kids and then after school programs as well um, with the goal right. of. Again, reaching them early and often, hoping to spark this interest at an early age that would then turn into a fire that can't be put out. And that's the beauty of it. And that's exactly what, what we find too. We spend the majority of our time focusing on those upper elementary and middle school kids for a reason, right? Um, you know, and, and a big piece of that reason is, you know, we are really hopeful that kids will come and do multiple programs. If we offer a whole bunch of different things, that they will go from one to the other just to try something different, right? So, you know, we want to see them be able to do, um, you know, robotics, and we want to see them be able to do techno fashion, and we want to see them be able to do coding. And by the same token, we also want those same kids who are interested in those technology components to actually then go out and, and try field sciences too. So we want to take them out and let them explore or bugs or birds or geology. And we do that because ultimately we want the kids who discover hammer hey, techie, but you know, it just so happens that I like rocks too, that they can find the fact that there's a career in the intersection of those two things. But if they don't have the opportunity to try it, they will never ever come to that. You know, it was interesting yesterday, I was on a webinar. Um, there's a fabulous a new book that's out. It's called The Adaptive Advantage. And it's written by a woman by the name of Heather McGowan, who's a futurist, future work. And I don't know if you're familiar with her work or not. But you know, I wish everybody would 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 go and read and, and absorb what she talks about. Because one of the things that she does so beautifully is point out the fact that, you know, we push kids really early on. We say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And as soon as we do that, we put them in a box or we, 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 we have them put themselves in a box because the reality is they don't know and their imaginations are endless and boundless if we can just nurture them. No, I agree. I mean, I think it's hard for kids to contextualize a profession, right? <laughs> At a right. young age. Yeah. Really, I think the, the, the strategy should be to, like you said, expose them to as many quality learning experiences as possible. Mm-hmm. As they grow, they'll figure it out, right? They'll 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 they figure will. out what they have an affinity for and what they may consider. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and I think it kind of all makes sense there for them, right? Um, I think too many times we try to pinpoint certain uh, times in their lives where we need to spoon feed them certain things. When I think right. that the thing about learning is that it doesn't have to be so regimented a lot of times, you know. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I'm a huge advocate for let's not do that at all. Um, I am also a huge advocate for let's just toss all the standards. I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent, you know, a standards-based education, but, but I think it's okay to toss them all in the air, grab a handful and say, what do these things, random things have to do with each other? And, and let the kids explore and figure it out because reality is they all do. But we, we compartmentalize them and we make it really, really difficult for the kiddos to understand, right? For, for example, what does chemistry have to do with building construction, right? The material science of steel, right? But, but helping them get there is really difficult if they only go to chemistry class and they never tie that back to something they might be doing in engineering. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I mean, and, and like you said, real life problems are solved by being able to to research and look at different areas and figure out how they all interrelate with each other. You know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a, I, I do follow you. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of problem based learning <laughs> as well and throwing the standards out. I've actually tried to imagine what would the perfect educational system look like. So I have, do have some thoughts on that, but maybe we'll talk offline about that. But I think it's a combination of formal and informal learning that happened in parallel from K through 12. You know, um, you know, what proportion of formal versus informal you have, I think, is uh, uh, there, there are ways to do it. I just don't know if uh, policymakers have the political will to make it happen. Yes, and we will definitely talk about that more offline, Maurice, because I too have some ideas and I 100%, I can just almost guarantee you and I would be in alignment um, on what this thing should look like. Speaking of this thing, because it's not just kids, right, that we force into a box when we ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up without you know, allowing them to gravitate to this body of experiences they could possibly have and to truly, truly find the thing in this world that they're passionate about because that passion plays out. You know, your story is is a perfect example of taking a passion and turning it into something else. But I think the same thing happens as kids get older and we shift from what do you want to be when you grow up to that big giant ominous question. Um, When you're 16, 17 years old, we say, hey, what do you want to major in college? You know, first and foremost, you know, sort of pushing every kid into college when that's not really what every kid should be doing. And second, again, we ask them to declare a career again, right? Except now the stakes are higher because you're paying for it. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know when that started. I think it's a combination of, I mean, you know, raising two kids and, and you raise some children is, is so competitive. Mm-hmm. Parents, I think parents struggle with whether or not will give their kids everything or push them to be able to maybe go to more elite schools and give them as much education as possible. Because I think whether true or not, there's this boogeyman in their mind that if they don't, then their children won't be able to be successful in life. And I think, uh, you know, there's a confluence of, of of things happening now that really feeds that narrative to parents and parents react to it. And so, and then they do. And I, and I think uh, then that puts political pressure on certain people and, and uh, institutions. And, and it's just, it's just a, uh, a perfect storm of, I think things not to do. Right. And so, right. Uh, right. You know, how do you work back from that is, is I think the question of, yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I completely agree. You know, it's it's an intriguing, it's an intriguing sort of paradigm. And it's 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 work that has to be done both with policymakers, uh, but with families, with parents. I mean, the place that you that I see it most frequently is in conversations around, you know, manufacturing. Um, you know, folks don't want their kiddos to go into manufacturing because they have these these very old, almost 19th century images of the dirty, awful manufacturing. And that's not what manufacturing today looks like at all, right? It's it's clean technology. It's incredibly highly skilled. Uh, not all of it, but a fair amount of it. And so, you know, it, the world is just different, but we, we have to somehow um, help our full sets of communities understand the world is different. And, and how do we then help, help our kids, kids in our communities navigate that to sort of, again, find that thing that's going to be, you know, a lifelong passion for them. 
What are the things that, that you're thinking about? And, and as they're, you're influenced in thinking about your programming, what, what right now is top of mind for you? Well, one of the things that we're really trying to impart to kids is this idea of a moonshot, right? So mm-hmm. uh, stepping back from deciding on a profession or a major, what are some of the problems that you see in the world today that you can solve, right? And then mm-hmm. and back, back your career or profession out from that, right? So what are you I love that. about as a child? Maybe it's homelessness, maybe it's urban transportation, maybe it's it's food, uh, deserts, whatever that may be from your own personal experience. How can you then, from my perspective, you know, leverage technology or design or innovate around certain areas to solve those problems, right? And so mm-hmm. it, it's, it's been around for a while, this, this idea of moonshot thinking, but I, yep. it's something that I've really uh, been trying to uh, relate to the children and their families, this idea. So don't necessarily pick a profession, but you know, imagine what, what problems you're passionate about. And then as you grow into adult, mm-hmm. adulthood, uh, start to you know, attach and, and, and grab those skills and, and knowledge that you need to then feed that passionate moonshot problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, we've 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 done some some playing and experiment with this very same thing. And what we have found, as as I'm sure that you have, is that when you turn kids loose and you ask them what's the big thing, right? What what is something that you care about? And then you give them the space to explore the possibilities and walk them through the how you solve a problem, right? Whether they come up with the right answer or not. Doesn't matter whatsoever. You know, I jokingly tell people when they come and tour the innovation lab, and they'll they'll ask me, you know, what's the thing that's most meaningful to you about what happens here? Because the, the place is just a place, and it's a great place. Don't get me wrong, but it, it the reality is, it's just a place. And and what's so special about it is the fact that every kid that comes in the door, we believe they are capable of solving any global problem. You know, we believe. We, we don't know who you are. We don't know what your experiences have been, but we have faith and confidence that you you have or you can grow everything necessary to be the one uh, to solve um, for that moonshot, so to speak. And, and I tell them all the time, I said, you know, the kids, because you train them in design thinking um, and all the same pieces that, that, that you're doing with Oasis, um, when when you give kids those skills, they can sit down and they can actually think through possibilities. And I think that's the big difference for me is that you're giving kids possibility back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you teach them these skills, you're actually future-proofing anything that yes. they decide to do because those skills yes. are future-proof, right? <laughs> they can be used in any industry, any um, any capacity. Um, and so I know, you know, and that's one of the things that I definitely make sure, you know, when we're talking to kids that we're teaching them these skills that they can really take into any any arena. Um, a lot of, too, what I've been thinking about recently, you know, even though there's so many, especially with the seniors who aren't able to graduate because of COVID and everything else, you know, I, I'm an optimist, so I always look at it from the other side. And, and, you know, and I can imagine that this generation will spawn Maybe uh, the person who, who who cures cancer because they were inspired to go into medicine because of what's happening during this time, and so I just think that so many children are going to be actually uh, inspired and motivated to go into fields that you know have such had such an impact on their lives now during this time: medicine, epidemiology, 
you know, even uh, biomedical engineering, things of nature, because they're big push around ventilators and and three and all of that. And so I, you know, I'm hopeful that you know this may be one of the greatest generations from a STEM standpoint to to go out and actually have some great innovations for for humanity. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I I, I do believe this generation will be forever marked and impacted both negatively and positively right by what's what's happened and you know even though we're we're in it in the moment we know the moment's going to stretch out we know there's going to be a second wave we know all these things are going to happen and i agree with you i think that you know if we step back um and we we look at this 10 20 30 years from now we will find that it was a watershed event that sent many kids down a path they never imagined before all this happened and again i think it's that experience um, component then. And in that sense, you know, it becomes an opportunity, not so much a plight. And so it will be interesting. I completely agree with you on that. And, and I love I love the fact that you're spending time with kiddos thinking about those moonshots. Um, I would add to the list of um, all the healthcare things that we, we think these kids might solve is I also think that these kids are paying attention to the fact that as humanity has gone into a form of pause by, you know, going home, we have watched in a very short period of time the earth heal itself in some respects, right? If you think about all those cities where you can now the pollution has dropped so much we can see a landscape we haven't seen in 30, 40 years, right? Um, I suspect where kids are going to grab the valuable lessons to be had from that, but look how fast the earth is recovering. There's a long way to go, but I suspect when we look back, we're going to see some pretty amazing kiddos. I think you're right. Had come out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, w- I was even amazed to see how quickly uh, pollution levels came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, landscape uh, features were able to be seen for the first time in decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, it tells you how important uh, you know, climate change is and pollution and how we need to really make some efforts towards that, uh, you know, really uh, having a solution for that. So. Um, I always like to close the program, Maurice, um, with some last bits of advice. You know, imagine you're somebody in another part of the world who, who, hears, um, who hears this episode and really as thinking to themselves, hey, I want to do something very similar, create a program that looks or feels very much like some components of what I heard Maurice talking about. What what pieces of sort of sage wisdom, I guess, do you have for folks that are contemplating, hey, I want to do something amazing in my community? Begin. <laughs> Start. <laughs> uh, you know, I've learned so much just from starting. Uh, I, I think people tend to have a tendency to sit around and think um, of what they should do what the perfect path is, um, but it's never a perfect path, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can imagine it to be one way, and it's, it's, a, it's a totally different way. And so, and I think the the way you get around that is that you just begin. If you if you if you've been planning to do more work in your community, or to um, in terms of volunteering, or to start your nonprofit or social enterprise, uh, start. Like you can start small. You don't have to have mm-hmm. everything. In place, and so from that perspective, I, uh, to fail, right, and for things not to go the way that you imagine, uh, reassessing and then uh, proceeding forward again, and so, so, but you can't learn those things unless you actually start. And so, I mean, if if you're listening and if you're sitting around saying, "Hey, I was, I was going to, uh, I want to start this or I want to do that," just begin. And so that that's always fun. The people I talk to who always tell me that they have ideas about 
things they want to do. All they just say, just start, you know. Yeah, get going. <laughs> just do get going. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much, Maurice. I, I am so appreciative of you taking time out of your day uh, to talk with us and uh, um, wish you nothing but luck. And I can't wait for Past and Oasis to uh, do something together. Uh, I just think it would be a lot of fun and very meaningful. And please know uh, I am such a huge fan of the work that you do. Uh, so please keep doing that. And thank you for sharing with us. Thank you, Annalisa. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it sharing your platform and and sharing your passion with me as well. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.